Happy Wednesday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I was out last Friday, but I promise you guys I will be back. And this week, I'm going to bring you three great shows. Coming up today, Alexander Volkanovsky has made an interesting request. I'm hearing some rumors about Michael Chandler versus Dustin Poirier. And I'm also going to take an early look at this Saturday's rematch between Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes. But before we get to all of that, let's take a look back at UFC London. Tom Aspinall, Curtis Blades. Guys, there was more that happened here than you may be aware. We can't even agree on how long the fight was, by the way. The UFC says it was 15 seconds. My television set says it was 15 seconds. And uh, Bloody Elbow reported it was 16. What I'm just saying is we don't know a goddamn thing about this fight. We don't even know what the injury was. Truly. It was not obvious. Uh, Chris Weidman versus Anderson Silva. It was very obvious. Corey Hill, the first big injury we ever saw like this. Very obvious. Then, of course, uh, you know, what happened to Weidman? It wasn't obvious what happened here. It, it really wasn't. Was this an ankle? Was it a shin? Or was it a knee? And I've seen that octagon jump up and bite people in the ass before. For example, truly, where there's a seam, and maybe not UFC specifically, I mean cage in this case, where there's a seam or there's padding underneath the ring, but it's not put in the right spot. Guys will stand in it. They'll twist their ankle. I've seen a lot of things like this. Where you see the logos, this is a big one, where you have the advertisement logos. That is a different type of surface than the regular canvas. So now you have two different fields, and people have slipped on them before. I only share that because I went back and rewatched this five, six, seven times to see if that was what happened here. Hey, was this an issue with the actual floor? Dr. Bossy makes a piece on it. And Dr. Bossy, who's as good as they come, but easily the best in our sport, said, you know, guys, I'm not sure that I can diagnose this. And I think Dr. Abbasi even settled in on an MCL, but openly saying, I can't diagnose this. Now, the reason I bring that to you, why and how did that fight end? It was a strike. It's a kick, but it was a strike. One guy goes down and cannot continue. That is a textbook definition of technical knockout. However, when the guy went down... He said, stop. He said that verbally, which is the textbook definition of a submission. How do we get to a no contest? I'm asking the question, how do we get there? Because O'Malley did. O'Malley Munoz did get there. And this fight between Tom and Blades was very similar to what we just saw. Saw it out on Long Island. Brian Ortega, Uriah Rodriguez. Something is happening. When that something ends, there is an injury that precludes one guy from continuing. That sounds like a submission to me. And these are really important that we get this right. If you are a handicapper, if you're betting, you can bet on the way fights in, not just win or lose, not just red or blue. You can bet whether it's a knockout. You can bet if it's going to be in the first round. You can bet if it's going to be over three rounds when it's a five-round situation like this one was. So when you come to a final conclusion that it was a technical knockout, when a guy verbally is saying, uncle, how, how is that not a verbal submission? And I'm only asking the question. When I talk about a lot happened in this fight, first off, I believed in Aspinall coming into this week. Now, 
you also know I believed in blades, and I don't hedge, right, guys? This was kind of a unique one for me, but I will tell you, Curtis Blades has the hardest skills of anybody in the organization for John Jones specifically. Specifically for John Jones, the X's and O's, the hardest time John is going to have is with Curtis. But where is Curtis? Where does he fit in? Off the top of my head, he's only lost Tangano, and he lost him a couple of times, but he's only lost Tangano. And then, of course, getting caught by Derek Lewis. Is there any other losses that he's even had? I've never known why Curtis isn't a bigger star. I don't think you can main event a guy and then turn around and tell him you can't draw. I don't. I just don't think you can do it. Even if it's true, I don't think that you can say those words. You're not a draw. You're the main event. It's tough. And Curtis has been a main event multiple times. And now he's a main event winner. Now, I just want to focus on Tom, though, because I believed in him coming into this week. I really did believe. I really, in my heart, I thought there was something there. Now I know. Now it's not in my heart anymore. Now it's in my mind. I know. Tom is as good as I told you guys that he was. Tom came out and threw a kick. He ate two punches hard, fresh, fast, and straight in the face by Curtis Blades. you got to be a tough guy to take a Curtis Blades punch, right? This is when he's fresh. Boom, boom, one, two, right down the middle. Comes, comes out, throws a kick. Boom, boom, same exact spot, one and a two again. Comes out, throws the third kick, lands it. This is ultimately what ended the fight. Took him again. Tom took six punches in the face, fresh. Fresh, full power, perfect shots. He took six of them. He was fine. Now, you could take pretty hard shots straight on. This wasn't on what we call the button. This wasn't just underneath the ear. This wasn't on the job. He still took six shots. And I'm looking at it going, you're a tough guy. I don't know what happened with the knee. I'm just sharing for him. There's some other stuff I learned about Tom this week as well. I did not realize that Tom Aspinall, when I take a look at him, right, he's not carrying a lot of extra weight. He looks like a 205 pounder to me. I didn't realize he was six foot five. So where in my heart, I felt as though I've identified, and I'm going to help to make sure that you guys understand, I've identified a potential contender. Now I know. Yes, we did. Tom is just that good. The other side of the coin, guys, Curtis has been that good, and we're just not giving it to him. And I've asked you guys, be fair with me, because I've asked you guys multiple times. Right here on YouTube, I just said, guys, what is it you don't like about Curtis? Curtis goes and fights Ngano. Now, that's before Ngano was Ngano. We didn't know who he was. He loses in the very first round. First, it was like less than 30 seconds. He demands to fight him again. Dana gives him the opportunity, but this time he's got to go to another continent. It's a pain in the ass to get there. To get to a fight that nobody else is willing to do anywhere. Curtis does it again. He gets caught again. It's under 30 seconds. Again, wants to fight him a third time. I mean, those are the kind of guys that we get behind. Those are the kind of guys we root for. And I've always asked, why don't you like Curtis? You've never told me. And I thought there was something, but I missed it. Curtis was a jerk. Here's what he did, but Chael missed it. Okay. I saw him at his post-fight interview. He stutters. He speaks with a stutter. And that's why you guys didn't tell me. That's what you don't like about him. And that's also why you didn't tell me. Because you knew you'd be a jerk if you said it. And I got to tell you, I thought I thought he sounded good with the stutter. One of my favorite country music singers growing up had a stutter, but he didn't do it when he sang. And he got over. And I'm only sharing with you, if there's a part of his interviews that you don't like, when the guy's out there, he's putting himself out there. You think he's not insecure about his stutter? Of course he is. Probably got teased growing up. Probably doesn't want to come out and do these interviews, but he did it anyway. I mean, there is a lot of courage behind Curtis Blades. There is a lot of effort. There's a lot of willingness. Walking into the O2 arena against England's star, 
in a main event. This is Tom's not first time. This is his second time in a row headlining a sold-out arena in his own town. There wasn't a person there that had a good thought for Curtis. And he walked out there and he did it anyway. And he found a way. I just want to bring that to your attention. I just want to bring this to your attention, just how good these two guys are. There is nothing bad here that happens to Tom Aspinall. Nothing. I don't know what you have to do to have a no contest. I we, we would all be very clear if that was a no contest that Tom doesn't fall at all. The other side of the coin, though, whether it was a no contest officially, guys, we did not have a contest. Can we agree on that? We have Tom Aspinall walked him down, walked to the other side of the ring, right where Curtis was waiting, looking to get into a fight. Ate six punches to the face. You had two really tough guys there. One thing that Curtis brought up in the post-fight press conference, because a lot of these situations, okay, guys, time out. Let's do it again. If you're in Dana's shoes, I promised the world this fight. I'm going to fulfill that promise. But when you don't know how long a guy's going to be out, when you don't know how long he's hurt, that's not really uh, much to put. It's not much of a basket to put your eggs in. So they asked Curtis about this. Hey, what are you going to do? You're going to rematch him. And Curtis said, no. Curtis said, the reason I'm not going to rematch him, I'm only going to fight for uh, guys in front of me. I'm not going to fight anybody else until I fight for a championship fight or guys in front of me. Now, I would have to consult the rankings to know who would even be eligible for that because Curtis has kind of spread it around. I know that is typically something that would infuriate us over here. When a guy says no, when a guy's not going to spread an opportunity, I know that's the kind of thing that would generally have me furious. There's a level of it in Curtis's situation where it's necessary. Curtis is being overlooked. That's true. Curtis was brought into me a main event, but all of the focus was to, on Tom Aspinall. And I feel as four or five other times in Curtis's career this has happened. And if Curtis doesn't start standing up for himself, it's never going to change. Somebody has suggested that Curtis now that he came out of this with his hand raised, take on the winner of Surreal Gone and Tai Tuivasa. I like those fights. I don't love them. I like those fights. I'd be in for that. No problem. Let's get Tom better. Let's not think about Tom too. Let's just get him healed. Let's get him in front of a doctor. Let's see what's going to be necessary. Let's get that time frame. I don't hate it. I just don't know why Curtis isn't eligible to be fighting for championships. That's tough. I don't know if Stipe has a bigger fan than me, and, and several of you are equal, right? Well, we all love Stipe, but I don't know if you meet somebody that likes him more. I would just suggest for you, even in light of that, even in light of my bias, Stipe lost, as a matter of fact, was stopped in his last fight. Curtis Blades stopped his last opponent. Curtis is on a little bit of a roll. And that same thing is true for Aspinall. And that same thing is damn sure true for Tuivasa. And I think that it's it's going to be hard over time to justify Jones versus Stipe if it's for a belt. And we all believe that's going to be for the interim championship. Now, as each day goes by and each week and each month, that becomes less and less likely. Because all of a sudden, you don't need an interim championship. Whether you're going to contest the Undisputed Championship and you're going to bring Francis into that, or you're going to take the belt off of him, as each week goes by, it looks as though Jones and Stipe should be fighting for the Undisputed Championship. However, as each week goes by, it makes the case a little bit harder for either one of those guys or part of it. One guy is not currently licensed. That's John. And has never fought within that division. 
That's a tough sell. But we will buy it because he was so dominant 205. We will accept it. Stipe lost his last fight and it was a meaningful amount of time ago. It starts to be a little bit hard how these are the two guys we go for for a belt. For a massive fight, of course. No fight we'd rather see more. Is no fight we'd rather see more equal to you guys get a fight for the belt? I don't know. I don't know about that. At times it is. But as time keeps going by, it becomes less and less. Gone and Tui Vasa are going to now have a very meaningful fight. That is the biggest and most important and most significant and highest ranked heavyweight fight that is currently booked. Now, the Tom and Blades are done. So we're going to have some focus on that, but there's also going to have to be some demands. And that's where I come back to Curtis Blades at this press conference. When he said, I'm not doing any favors for anybody, I'm not fighting anybody lower than me, that will change. No problem. Someone from the UFC calls up, here's what we want you to fight. Curtis is going to go do it. Don't don't get locked in on that. Get locked in on the idea that Curtis Blades is finally standing up for Curtis Blades. And that's a good thing. How would you like to be a heavyweight that whips everybody's ass, gets all the hard assignments, have to fly into enemy territory over and over and over again, and not get any credit for it? It's a tough spot. Let's see where the whole thing goes. But I would like you to leave this weekend with a little bit different opinion than I think you had coming into this video. First off, we did learn a lot. We learned a lot about both guys. Curtis able to go out there with a house full of people booing him. Tom willing to go out there. I mean, Tom went out there like there was ice going through his veins. To walk into that audience and to be that calm and know exactly what's on the line. Where we go from here, that's always a tricky question. And should we revisit something like this? Should we revisit a freak accident and look at a no contest? That's a conversation for another day, but be ready for it. Because eventually I am going to ask that question, but I really do want your answer. So Aspinall and Blades didn't pan out for UFC London, but the fans still got their money's worth with another big win by Patty the Batty, who I believe has the potential to reach the very pinnacle of our sport. Patty the Batty. What do you guys think? I'll tell you what I thought. I thought he was going to lose this fight. That's what I thought. I thought Jordan Lovett is a little bit harder opponent than Patty's ready for. Fighting at home is not an advantage, guys. It's a disadvantage. Every other sport in the world, if you have home field, home court advantage, it helps you. Except in this one. If you've been telling all your peers and all your coworkers and all your classmates how tough you are, and now you've got to walk out there half naked in short pants with a mouthpiece, and you've got to prove it, it's a hard thing to do. Not to mention the phone calls and, and the asking, hey, can you get me tickets? I mean, not for nothing. It's a very hard thing to fight at home. And I only bring that to you because I don't believe that that's the best patty there is. That patty that we saw over the weekend could be a world champion. The one thing that patty did better in this fight than he has in uh, any other is he showed his ability to push the pace. The greats all can push the pace. It's a hard thing to see as the audience. The fellow competitors know it, though, and they recognize it. Because if you're going to beat a guy, you either got to be better than him or you got to be tougher than him. And if you watch a guy and you know, I am not better than him. He has more skills, but I'm tougher. What you're saying is not that when you take the punch versus he take the which one of you says, ow, ladder. 
You're talking about who can go harder longer. That's what tough is in the sport. If you ever hear a commentator talk about this guy is tough, it has nothing to do with his ability to absorb damage. They're talking about his ability to go as hard in the 14th minute as he did in the 4th minute. And Patty was getting overwhelmed two sorts. He was getting pressured. He was getting pushed to Ben's defense. He was the one that got taken down. He was getting overwhelmed to source. Jordan Levitt was doing everything the way Jordan wanted it to go. But Patty was relentless and he would not stop. And whether it was getting him off the bottom, getting over the cage, getting a little elevation, or even finding guillotines and adjusting his hips and his legs and getting it over and threatening chokes, Patty was nonstop aggressive and on the attack. I just haven't seen that before. I just flat out haven't seen that. I've heard some people that love Patty talking about how great he is on the ground. And I've had other people that love Patty talking about how good his strikes are. I haven't seen it. I have now. There was something very special that happened there. You saw the O2 Arena. It was very clear who that audience came to see. Patty the Batty, without this performance, going to be a big deal. He's going to matter. He's going to move the needle. He already showed that. This is his second time in England. This is his second sellout. Even though he didn't get the credit. Whoever's on top of the bill and then wins the main event gets the credit. You, you can see the problem with that type of data research. That's still what it is. Whoever gets the loudest reception, we call it a pop. Whoever makes the crowd pop the loudest, that's the star of the night. It doesn't matter where his placement was. That was Patty. And I've seen a lot of young guys, and I could name them. I wouldn't do it because I wouldn't want to embarrass him, but a lot of young guys. And they end up in Patty's spot, where they weren't quite mature enough to handle it. They were just too young. And that little bit of spotlight, and that little extra money in your pocket, and that little extra status and notoriety creates for distractions. It keeps you in the gym a little bit less. I've just seen this, guys, and so have you. I've seen the opposite with Patty. And I don't know that we have a big enough pool to research, but even in the smart, even in the short term, Patty's doing everything right. And Patty was a little bit frustrated earlier in that fight. And Patty was getting pushed and backed up a little bit more than he wanted. And Patty's ability to show that he's got better punches and kicks was being negated because Jordan was crowding him. Jordan really did a very good job. You do have to understand, Jordan Levitt did a very good job. He's a very good athlete, and he still got beat. If you don't understand and you don't acknowledge what a good job Jordan did, you're missing what Patty did, but it was the post-fight interview. As opposed to Patty being a big deal, being able to make some money, being helpful for the division, selling some tickets over that home in England, what he did in the post-fight makes him a star. That's the kind of stuff that separates you from the pack. That was real. That was authentic. He also revealed to the audience on accident. It wasn't his intent, but he revealed to us what he was going through, what he was carrying with him through all of this stuff, what he was trying to push to the side to focus in on the moment, which he did very well. He was real and he was authentic. And this is when these guys, these showmen are at their absolute best. When they drop that and let you in, Conor McGregor does not do it very often, but when he does, there's something special there. And that's what Patty did. I caught a post-fight with Patty. Patty went and shared the desk uh, with Molly. Now, Molly was not a good partner for Patty. She was a ball hog. She spoke up nonstop. She needed to zip it just a little bit. But this is Patty's call, and he let her do it. He knew that she was drunk with excitement. He knew, I'm going to have a lot more of these opportunities. She may not. It was just one of these things where you saw this different side of Patty, and it wasn't this cocky, arrogant brash. It was none of those things. 
It was a young man with a dream who worked really hard to go out there and have his goal come through. It was just a different side. It softened him tremendously. Pat even talked about some vulnerabilities. Patty's doing the weigh-in and he yells, he's not even mic'd up and he yells to all you people that tried to fat shame me, you know, and mooms on and slaps his ass. But he still found a way to do two things. He found a way to be entertaining, found a way to stay in character, which is to give the middle finger to the audience. But he also represents, I hear these things. I'm a human being. Why are you going to fat shame me? I got to lose a whole bunch of weight at times. And other times I, I get to reward myself. There was just a lot that happened, but I think you guys feel it. And whether you've identified within yourself that that's what you felt, that is what you felt. You came out of that fight with a very different idea of Patty. There was a time where Patty was picked up in the air, and now he starts looking for a triangle. I mean, Jordan picks a guy up in the air like anybody. You pick a guy up in the air, gravity does it from there, right? Guy's off the ground, put his ass down. Patty starts looking for a triangle. Patty was annoying. He was bothering Jordan at all times. There was no point in that fight where Jordan was comfortable. Many people, including the announcers that called this fight, believe that Jordan won the first round. I don't think that's true. Now, that data's out there. We could go and look it up. I haven't. But I don't think that's accurate. I think if we did go look at those cards, I bet on all three judges that Patty had won that fight. Now, he lost the first part of it, which means he could deal with adversity. And a lot of these young guys that get a spotlight shined on them, the one thing that they can't deal with is adversity. And even if it was two or three minutes... It's still happening. He still did it. And we still saw how we responded. I couldn't be more excited. I really couldn't on what I saw from Patty. I have not seen anything from Patty, particularly over the weekend, that would lead me to a conclusion that he cannot become world champion. I'm not stating that right now he's the best in the world. I'm stating for you everything that I saw, all the bit of promise that was there, all of the potential was there. There was nothing within that contest that would disqualify him within a reasonable analyst's mind that he can't be the champion of the world. So if you're team bad, if you're fired up, if you're excited, look, a lot of guys are coming after him. Mark Madsen is coming after him, the Olympian. But a lot of guys are coming after him. It's a very similar thing as exactly, precisely, what Sugar Sean had to go through. Guys trying to say he's carried is not fighting the hardest guys. He's trying. He's a big deal. He's a big draw. You guys want him. Best guy, step forward. But for a period of time, Sean was having a hard time getting those matches. I don't want that to happen to Patty. I don't want it to happen to Patty because accidents happen when you do that. If you thought Jordan Levitt was a gimme, you're wrong. You're wrong. And if you try to do that with somebody, you're better to throw him in there with Madsen. You're better to throw him in there with, with some of these hammers that are after him. You're better to test him right now. Let's see where it goes with Patty. But I, I would like a dialogue with you guys. I would like some comments here. Am I wrong? Did I have rose-colored glasses on? Did I appreciate his post-fight speech so much that I'm reworking the contest? If I saw it wrong, tell me. If you didn't see the same adversity I saw, tell me. If you didn't see Levitt pushing the pace and backing him up and frustrating Patty and taking his punches and kicks away, tell me. But Patty won this fight, and I'm not sold on the idea that he did it with his best tools. There is nothing I saw from Patty Pumlin that makes me believe anything other than someday he could be the world champion. Staying with 155 pounds, 
There's been a lot of speculation recently about a fight between Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler, a fight that I think all of us would really like to see. I'll address those rumors in a moment, but first, I want to talk about Alex Volkanovsky and some recent comments he's made. Alexander Volkanovsky, guys, gets another one right. Volkanovsky, and, we, and you got to remember where we're at, okay? I've even been frustrated, but I'm frustrated on behalf of Volkanovsky. I think if, if you've done everything right the way he does, and you've shown the level of success that he has, that any idea that you have all of a sudden becomes a good idea. Right, like there has to be a point in this sport where the ideas that you throw out come back to you as good ideas. There has to be something that you could do. Volk's there. Volk's there to the point that when he said, I want to go up to 155 pounds, Dana simply said, if he beats Max, he can do whatever he wants. But that's exactly what Dana's referring to. He's referring to, you've done enough. And you've done enough good things. So whatever comes out of your mouth as an idea for what should be next for your career, boom, I'm going to say that you're right. But it went away. And not only did it go away, we now have two opponents for Volkanovski, both at 145, and we just haven't figured out which one it's going to be. Right? Is it going to be Josh Emmett? Is it going to be Yuri Rodriguez? Now, Volkanovski came out, and he said, you know what? Neither one of those guys is quite calling me out hard enough. Neither one of those guys is certain that it should be them. So just have those two guys fight each other. Have them do that as a way of showing the world that they're sincere and that they want it. I love it. I can't beat it. I can't beat that. And I don't think that that was supposed to be tomfoolery by Volkanovsky. I think that's really how he felt in conjunction with something's going on with his hand. And I, I got to word it that way. I, I am a little bit annoyed with our community. Speaking about Volkanovsky and speaking that he's going to be out for a period of time to the point that we need an interim championship, all because there was a report somewhere that said he needs his hand worked on. That may well be true, and that might be exactly what happens. I'm speaking to me being annoyed that our industry is running with that without ever going to Volk or Volk's team or to Volk's doctor and getting any kind of analysis, no matter how light. I think that we should question ourselves for that. Before you go and take a belt off a 45-pounder, before you move into visions, before you get Emmett and Uriah in there together because something's wrong with his hand. Not for nothing, but let me get back to what I'm talking about. So, looks like Volk isn't going to get what he wants. Well, he came out today. Did you guys see this? You guys know where I'm going with this? Volkanovsky is not only volunteering, he is campaigning to be the backup fighter. The number one ranked pound-for-pound fighter on earth. The greatest 45-pounder to have ever done it, who happens to be the sitting reigning champion right now, wants to be in a backup position. Wants to go out to Abu Dhabi to do it, just in case anything happens. Between Islam Makhlchev and Charles Oliveira. Guys, I like it. I like it a lot. First, I mean, look, if we can't give Volkanovsky that, what are we doing here? If Volkanovski can't get that favor, then there's just nothing that Goodwill will do for you within the sport. He's asking for nothing except to be the guy in case one of the guys, and not to mention, guys, when I talk about it, it makes sense, there's not a champion at 155. This is not a situation where if Charles gets hurt, but Volk is there, Volk and Islam fight for the interim title. There is no champion at 55. Charles versus Islam is for the undisputed title. 
And I got to talk to you until I'm red in the face about that, but it's very important that we do get that right, just in case something like this arises. Just in case Charles misses weight again. For an example, Volk's there, Islam's there, the show goes on as promised for the undisputed title. It's one of the reasons I keep begging you guys, hey, come on board with me. Hey, we're not being mean to Charles. We're not picking on Charles. Let's just make sure that we call this division for what it is, which is a division that doesn't have a champion. But you start to see why this becomes really important. You start to see why living in reality and having reality as the gold standard as opposed to emotion, emotion of how does it make you feel? cannot be the gold standard. We gotta go by reality. And in this case, what if Volkanovsky got that nod? I don't see how you could tell him no. I really don't. I don't see how you could tell a guy that you've publicly said can do whatever he wants. Now all that he wants is to be in a position that nobody else has volunteered for. Nobody else has suggested that they get it. Nobody else apparently wants. I don't think that anybody within that division wants to step in against Islam on very short notice, and I don't think anybody wants to step in with Oliveira on short notice. But there's now a guy that does want that, who's willing to go through training camp, who's willing to go to a different continent, who's willing to get all of his paperwork done, who's willing to train and be prepared. If we don't give the backup position to Volkanovsky, there's just no goodwill within this space. I mean, I, I think I could say it that strongly. The sitting champion wants a job that nobody else has asked for. Oh, and by the way, he might get nothing out of it other than a front row seat. Don't you, I think we got to give it to him. And if I can get you guys there, if I can get you to see, well, yes, Chael, of course we should give it to him. Then aren't I that much closer? Didn't I just become that much closer to making Volkanovsky a 55-pounder? Even if for one night, he stubs his toe the way Adesanya did, fine, go back to 45. What if he doesn't? What if he does become champ champ? Because the parody at 155, who you would want to see next, the clamoring of fights and opponents that you would want to see, just because they're fresh blood, just because they're new guys, just because they're matches that you're a fight fan, you've never closed your eyes and envisioned before, you've never dreamed of them. Volkanovsky wants to be the backup fighter. We saw how well that worked out for Michael Chandler. Volkanovsky wants to be a backup fighter. We saw how well that position worked for Kamara Usman. It's real. It's a real spot. The marketing of that position has never been done. There's somebody in the marketing department that disagrees with me, that thinks if you start talking about what could be when that's not what you're going to deliver, you can outshadow the card, they might be right. But I also might be right, and we wouldn't know until we tried it once. It would be an experiment, because we never have done it. I think it is a very fascinating angle to work in that backup guy. A very fascinating angle to sit him down, break down which of these two opponents. How are you preparing for the takedowns of Islam? How are you thinking about the aggressiveness and the length of Tony Ferguson? And then ask them the same question. I think it's interesting. Hey, Tony, you're getting ready to fight Islam. Great, let's do the whole piece on it. And then at the end, let's go, and by the way, it might be Volkanovski. I think that's interesting. Nope, nope, nobody's met me halfway on this yet. But that backup position should be coveted. If there was ever a match that I wanted and I couldn't get the match, boom, I'm going, I'm going after that backup spot. But again, I saw how well it worked. For Kamar Usman, for Michael Chandler, just by example. 
I want to know what you guys think. And moreover, I, don't, I just don't want this one to be missed. Volkanovsky has said a few things that are wildly interesting. They're just, they're blowing off the shoulders over here. Oh, he's getting his hand done. He's not ready to fight. Says who? Please stop telling me that. Until Volk says, I can't defend, I can't make a date, I can't be there, please stop telling me that his hand hurts. So I've heard a lot of things from Volkanovsky. I've never heard that this goddamn hand hurts. I just haven't heard it. What I'm hearing is he would like to be in Abu Dhabi and would be like to be in a position to step in on short notice to no notice to take on either Charles Oliver or Islam Makhlchev for the undisputed lightweight championship. If you have the courage or you have the argument to tell him no, go right ahead. I don't. Chandler versus Poirier. Guys, what do you think? I mean, right, this, this seems kind of obvious. You have two really big stars at the same weight class. Put them together. Great night. I want to know a little bit deeper. What do you guys think? Look, I had a very meaningful conversation. I'm giving Chandler a good look. I must tell you, Frank Yeager is saying that he's going to retire. Frank Yeager is my favorite fighter. I'm going to need a favorite fighter when Frankie's gone. I mean, I just have to. I'm starting to look in the direction of Michael Chandler. I'll tell you right now. I have not seen Chandler get one wrong. I had a private conversation with Chandler. I want to bring to you guys what he said. Because I was so impressed. And it was very simple, and here's all it was. Michael Chandler went after Islam Makhlchev. Where did that come from? I'm thinking that. And I got a whole conspiracy. I got a whole conspiracy that Volkanovsky's coming to 55, and that's gaining some traction, and Islam's going to become available, and Chandler's... I mean, I've got this whole thing worked out. It was as simple as this. He wants to fight, and he knows he's not getting a world title fight next. So he wants the next best thing, which is whatever's next makes him the number one contender. He doesn't believe there's certain guys that he could fight that obviously make him the number one contender. He knows he could be in the conversation, and he's right. He is right now. He wants it obvious. Whoever his next opponent is, he wants everyone to stand back and go, okay, you're now the number one contender. And he thought he could get that with Islam. That's a very unusual reason to call somebody out that is very refreshing, that comes from a very deep-rooted competitor. There's no other way you get to that mindset unless deep within who you are, in your heart and your mind, you are a competitor, first and foremost. I really just wanted you guys to hear that because it will change the way you look at Chandler. Did me. Very powerful stuff. Now, what are you going to do with Dustin Poirier? You got two massive stars who went and found each other in an audience and got Dustin Poirier mad. When's the last time you've ever seen Dustin Poirier mad? And Dustin's had to put up with some stuff. We've seen things that happen to Dustin that would piss anybody off, but it never has. Just never has. So you know something powerful there. It's very hard to look away from. Now, guys, I'm not announcing for you that it's going to be Chandler versus Poirier. I just read an interview by Chandler, and I'm just bringing you up to speed. Chandler's words were something along the lines of, I think they're going to put me with Dustin. I actually think we're going to get this done fairly soon. That was it. Now, that sounds like insider information that just revealed a fight for you, but it wasn't. It was genuinely Chandler looking at the tea leaves and all the clues that he has, including ones behind the scenes that we haven't seen, knowing how this thing works and thinks it's going to end up there with Poirier. I want to know what you guys think of that. 
And what do you think of the fight? And guys, it's very interesting. Because again, I want to go by what Chandler's words were, which weren't very many. It was two sentences. But let's just break down those two sentences. He said very soon. So if the fight announcement is going to come very soon, that means those guys are going to fight within two to three months. It's precisely what it means. Go get your calendar out and tell me where we have a pay-per-view that doesn't have a main event. Now, you will find one. That date actually does exist in November. But do we believe that that's going to be put at the top of the bill? Or do we believe that somebody who's a current champion is going to get pulled back in? A lot of rumors towards Adesanya Piera, just by example, to take that spot. And it's very relevant, though, what I'm saying, because if they're not a main event, it means they're a co-main event. And Michael Chandler versus Dustin Poirier is two massively different fights if you're doing it for 15 minutes as opposed to 25. They are massively different fights. I'm telling you, they would change the line. The line at DraftKings, if you could could just do this, somehow we could get it made for 25 and then later get it corrected to 15. It would swing drastically, and it might even flip. Who you think is going to win in 25 minutes, you might change your mind if you found out it was going to be 15. So there's things about this match that I just love, not to mention Poirier needed to pick a weight class. It was the first thing that he needed to do because he was flirting with the idea of going to 170 pounds. Well, now he's pissed off and it happens to be at 155, but that could still give us some clarity to the future of Dustin Poirier. And this division and who's going to be fighting who and what true number one contenders matches are is a whole nother conversation if Oliveira loses to Strap. To make believe that the winner of Chandler Poirier, which is just a dream fight, I mean, come on, this is the fight, right? But to make believe that that person goes and becomes the number one contender, if Charles is champion, is going to be hard. It's going to be hard. We've already seen it both ways. Those are always a little bit tougher to redo. But to make believe that the winner of Chandler versus Poirier is the number one contender, if Islam becomes champion, who, by the way, is favored right now at DraftKings, three to one a week ago, well, that's a, that's a totally different deal. Sure, you'd like to see Poirier in there with Islam. If Islam grabbed the belt. Sure, you'd like to see Chandler. Absolutely. Now, I want to see it right now. So it's one of these things. I know what Chandler wanted to do, which is to get this number one contenders match. I'm just not sure that he didn't do it, but neither is he. We don't know what that division is going to look like. And if these two are going to go out and fight, you know, I, I got to hear the story. I mean, I really do have to hear the story. Because I watched... Michael Chandler call out four guys. I watched him. He did not call out Poirier, which seems upset Poirier. (laughs) Dustin Poirier, who's never been mad, ever, in front of us, is red hot boiling over because he was not called out. I have not heard of that before. I am always open to very new ideas. I don't get to see them very often. I've been around the sport for a really long time. Been a fan from the conception. Was a fan of boxing before that. I have not heard of somebody having their feelings hurt because they weren't challenged. And I'm in. I like the whole thing. The X's and O's is something, guys. First off, we don't have this fight yet. But secondly, it's something we have to put off until we find out the placement of this fight. 25 versus 15 with these two athletes is a very different breakdown. So stand by, 
Let's do everything in order. Let's find out if we've got this fight. We'll have to address it. what it's for, a number one contendership. We'll have to address that at another time. We don't have enough information right now. But moreover, where on the card is this going to go? To close out today's show, let's take an early look at Saturday's main event, the rematch between Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes. Amanda Nunes, Juliana Pena, guys, what do you think? Right now, straight up, what do you think? Because before I asked you that, I went over to DraftKings. DraftKings right now, it's a two and a half to one spread. That favors Amanda. But if we were to back up, guys, right, I'm talking to you right now four days before they fight. The last time they fought, four days prior, it was eight to one. Eight to one, favoring the lioness, Amanda Nunes. What's different? Now, I know the answer to that question is you saw them fight, and now you realize that Juliana can beat her. Okay, but you're not saying Juliana can beat her. You're still, as the collective betters, you've still got Amanda. You have the lines much closer, but look, two and a half to one. I mean, to put in perspective for you, when Israel Adesanya fought Jared Cannonier, okay, two weeks ago, Israel was a four to one. Just to put that in perspective, however you felt about that fight, it was four to one. To put in perspective for you, when Alex Volkanovsky took on Max, also three weeks ago, and for their third fight, at times during the week, DraftKings had Max the favorite. It bounced up. When it ultimately went off, it was Volkanovsky, but it was tight. So I'm just sharing with you what a two and a half favorite means. There's some rules in betting, guys. There's some rules that you'll have hardcore bettors tell you are an absolute. My father, as well as his father, would tell you, you always bet on Detroit on Thanksgiving. Now, I have seen Detroit lose on Thanksgiving, but there's people that really believe this, and I'll give you another one, and this one you're going to have a much harder time finding an exception to. If two fighters fight, now this can be old, I apologize, this can be MMA, or this can be older school, which is boxing. If two fighters fight and there's a finish, when they rematch, the younger fighter will win again, only easier. That is a rule in boxing. That is a rule in MMA. If an exception to that exists, I don't know what it is. I'm going to say it for you again if you want to go to Google, if you're going to want to search this. If two fighters fight and there's a finish, when they rematch, the younger fighter will win again, only easier. So if we're to look at that as one thing, you're talking about Juliana Pena beating Amanda again. Now, set those aside, because these two ladies are pretty close. I mean, they're separated by a, a matter of 20 months, right? Well, uh, Juliana's uh, 32 right now. Amanda's 34. So there's got to be a tipping edge. There's got to be, hey, that's close enough. I understand that. What is going to be different this time than was different in the previous time? Well, Amanda's got a new gym. It's her own gym, but she was very frustrated. She didn't open up and talk about that. She was quite gracious and said, oh, I was going to do this anyway. It has nothing to do with the outcome of my fight. This is a business for me. This is something that I, I, I want to do within my retirement. And I just got the lease and the equipment. It all just happened to come together now. And then as some time went by, she opened up and said, look, I was a little frustrated at ATT. I started the women's division at ATT. I was the first woman to come through the door. 
I was the first woman they had win, let alone get the championship matches, let alone get the titles, let alone get the simultaneous titles. They all came in because of me, and now I'm distracted. My coaches are distracted. My work on center is highly focused on me, so she's going to another gym to get that. Can she? Just because she owns the facility and she signs the checks, can she get that same motivation from her coaches? Just a question. I have no reason to believe that she can't. I'm asking the question. What within this new training camp is going to be different? Now, the thing that bit Amanda in the ass the first time was nothing to do from the X's and O's. It was a purely mental lapse. Amanda found herself in a fight that was harder than the fight Amanda thought she was going to have. Whenever that happens in combat, things unravel quickly. When she put that big right hand on Juliana's face, the same one that ended the night against Cyborg, the same one that ended the night against Rousey, and Juliana, instead of falling down or falling backwards, stepped forward with a smile on her face, that became a problem. If I heard Amanda saying the things that I'm saying to you right now, you'd have a pretty good reason, as would I, to believe that Amanda can flip the script. Amanda doesn't owe us anything, including the truth. So Amanda does not need to come out and tell us what really happened that night, how she really felt and what she genuinely plans to change in strategies. I understand that. But fighters have a tendency of doing just that. Fighters are far more inclined over a period of time as they're using the world, they're using the audience as a counseling session. And it's very helpful. It's very empowering to come out and tell the world what your secret is. When you have mental lapses and you come and tell the world, it just took its power away. It's something that I think Amanda would have done, but she didn't do it. And I conclude she didn't do it because she hasn't accepted it yet. I don't believe that Amanda has accepted, I quit. I got tired because I was frustrated because she was tougher than I thought she was going to be. I think it's relevant. I think your odds over at DraftKings of a, a two and a half favorite, it's a good day to go lock that in. I think it's going to get a little bit tighter. I think when they get to the open workouts and the open media and you see that's the same hungry Juliana, there are changes that are very evident that Amanda could make. There was only one round that was completed. All three judges gave it to Amanda, but so did the rest of us. It was crystal clear. But there was a lot of energy that was used. And I do think if anybody needs to make changes, I think Juliana, and I'm hoping she's open to the idea, because a lot of times people will tie their performance to the outcome. They'll tie their strategy, they'll tie their trainers, they'll tie their camp, they'll tie how much they ate, how many hours they slept to the outcome. The outcome favored Juliana, but the performance still favored Amanda. That's the hard truth that nobody seems to want to sit down and realize here. It's one thing that Amanda hasn't spoke about, but I'm not clear that Juliana is also fully aware. I got to get my head out of the way. I got to threaten her more. I got to close the distance, and even if I can't take her down, I need to hang on to her a little tighter. Every single time Juliana puts her hands on Amanda, she needs to wear the battery down of Amanda, whether she's pushing or she's pulling. Doesn't have to get her down to the ground. These are small things, but then you do want to wonder who's hungrier. 
One problem that Amanda had going into that first fight, not only that the whole world believed in her and nobody told her that this was going to be a hard fight. The other problem that she had is regardless of outcome, she wakes up tomorrow the champion of the world. That's a very rare level of success, guys. If you were the champion, if you made it to that level, and you make one slip over here and that's gone, that title and that fame and that gold belt gets pulled off of your waist, whoo, you got a lot of pressure, right? You're going to be puckered up and you're going to be thinking about that. What if you've had so much success that you've got two championships in two different weight classes? You enter the ring world champion, regardless of outcome, you leave the ring and you're still the world champion. I mean, but that's a real thing to think of. Like Amanda really wants this back, I believe. Amanda would prefer to fight at 45, but is going to pull down to 35 because she's finally found somebody that can give her resistance. I believe. Amanda is so committed to giving this back that she left the only team that she knows to go out and do her own thing because she thinks it's better for her. I believe. I really do believe those things. Now, none of them are going to equate to a championship. And to the folks at DraftKings that have Amanda 2-1 favorite, none of them are going to equate to that odds being correct. If Amanda isn't fully aware whether she's told us, the audience, or not, if she is not fully aware within her heart and her mind that I fell apart in the last fight because this girl could take harder hits than I knew she could. Now you got to go look at Juliana. Juliana was flat fired up for that last fight. DraftKings had her at an 8-1 to underdog. Closed as, as small as a 7-1 underdog. It was an insult. But there was no pressure. And sports guys always love to come and talk to the audience who has the pressure, but they never take the time to explain why that matters. When you are in a sport like combat, who is predicated on cardiovascular ability, who can push harder, longer, it is predicated, it is number one, it is paramount. If you're feeling a pressure, that will create an anxiety. That anxiety will release a chemical and it will cause fatigue. So whoever is feeling the pressure is more likely, scientifically speaking, to reach exhaustion than the other one. And one thing about Juliana, and this is my opinion, guys, I think DraftKings has it wrong again. I do. I believe Juliana's going to win this fight. But talking with Juliana right here on Fight Week was the exact feeling I had when Sterling was going in to fight Jan. I was able to speak to Sterling. Sterling was not aware and was not approaching the match as though he had something to defend. Sterling was approaching that as though he was the contender. You, the audience, had reasons, whatever it was, but he agreed with you. So there was not a pressure, there was a hunger. And I'm sensing that right now with Juliana. You have not accepted her as champion. If you had, she wouldn't be the two and a half to one dog. I think her mind's in the right spot. I do think she is aware of how hard this fight is going to be. She now knows the power of Amanda. The only difference is she now knows that she can take the power of Amanda. Go to DraftKings, lock your bet in. But remember one thing, and I'll say it a third time. And in the history of combat, I don't think you're going to find an exception. If a younger fighter stops the older fighter and they do it again, the younger fighter will beat them again only quicker.
Alright guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And remember, I'll be back on Friday to give you my official predictions for UFC 277. I'll give you some more Pena Nunes preview, and I'll also break down the interim flyweight title fight and more. So until Friday, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. <laughs>